Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Kent, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come back and revisit us here at Civic Tech Chat. For folks that haven't listened or weren't a listener back in June of last year, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure thing, uh, Ryan. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be on the second best government podcast in the world. Uh, some people may say Gov Love, the LGO podcast is one and two, but or number one, but we can argue that later. Uh, yeah, it's cool to be back, uh, have this discussion, continued discussion about uh, what ELGO, the Engaging Local Government Leaders, uh, is doing to kind of advance government, move it forward. And uh, I think it goes well with some of the podcasts that I've heard you have in the past and some of your previous guests on really people who don't accept the status quo of government and know that we need to do better. Um, so it's good for me to be back. Uh, I am a board member of ELGO. I work full-time for the city of Tigard, Oregon as a communications manager. So kind of see it on both sides from creation of ELGO, which we've been around for about 10 years now, uh, to working for a city every day uh, and seeing what those communities uh, want and expect from their government. And uh, one of the things that we hone in on at the beginning interviews with Civic Tech Chat is this idea of personal why. You know, the thing that drives you to get out of bed each morning and, and do what you do. So Kent, uh, what would that be for you? So yeah, I think when I was on last time I talked about, and this would still be relevant, but uh, I think my drive, my ultimate driving force is my kids. I have a nine-year-old and seven-year-old girls who uh, love for them to have an equal opportunity in government. Um, and that continues to be my passion. But one other thing, my, my why, I guess, to add on to that now is just um, keep not just keeping, but attracting and retaining people to government. Um, I've seen, we hear from our members and from others, just the frustration of working in government and those challenges that we all share. And I think if we connect with each other, um, whether that's online or in person, uh, about these challenges and how we can actually help each other, uh, I think we, we will make government better and we are already starting to, especially on the local level. Um, so the why for me is, you know, taking those, finding those opportunities and encouraging that dialogue of, hey, we're all frustrated at some point in government, but uh, we should stay around and try to make it work. Uh, and there's a lot of resources out there and a lot of people who have that same uh, mindset now. So I, I'm excited about where local government is headed. Uh, we've benefited a little bit from uh, the uh, general attitudes towards federal government lately. So a lot of people look towards the local level as a place where they can really make an impact. I believe since we last spoke on the personal front for you, that your title has changed just a little bit there with the city of Tigard. Could you tell us a little bit about that change and how it impacts your, your day-to-day work there? Sure. So I was the interim communications manager. Uh, I'm now the communications manager. Uh, before I was interim, um, I was a senior management analyst and really, in my mind, I'd track to eventually be a city manager. My, my dad was a city manager for 30 some years, so I grew up around local government and seeing what city managers do. But, uh, and I'm not sure if he will listen to this podcast or not, but uh, the more time I've spent in government, which now has been over 10 years in local government and a couple of years in state government, I've really noticed the power of communications and how that can do a lot of the things that we're talking about with ELGL, 
but also can really revitalize the community and the way you connect with them. Uh, there are communities out there that expect their local government to be on social media. They expect to be creative. They expect us to get out of City Hall and get into their neighborhoods. So I think uh, my role as communications manager, uh, I've been in the official role now for about a year um, and just really excited about uh, the potential for bringing a new new approach to how we communicate with local government. Is there any media, whether it's print, video, podcast, or some other such thing, that you found to be especially educational or inspirational for your practice? Uh, sadly, you know, Governing Magazine, I thought was one of the best resources we had in government. Uh, Mark von Kauser, who's an incredible, incredible resource, still is. So Governing was one of those magazines and publications that I looked at to, for ideas and to see what others were doing. Outside of that, I guess I'm a little untraditional. I don't look towards some of the... Uh, some of the bigger professional associations or publications for ideas. I think there's a lot of stuff happening, some in government and some outside um, that we can borrow ideas from, especially when you're talking about <coughs> communications and community engagement. So there's not, uh, I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts, everything from, from this one to the David Axelrod podcast uh, and some, some uh, podcasts that have focused on, revitalization of cities. So I think it's, you know, the good thing about where we are today in, in communications is if you have an idea or if you have a voice and you want to share it, there's ways to do it through blogs, podcasts, social media. Um, so I think that has kind of leveled the playing field in where we get information from in government. For folks that maybe weren't listeners back June of last year when we initially had you on, could you give them an idea of, like at a high level, like what ELGL or engaging local government leaders is and what it's about? Well, first, uh, those people should probably apologize for not being a listener back then. But we will we'll work on the assumption that we forgive them now that they have found your podcast <laughs> uh, and are able to learn more uh, about what's happening in the government sector. So for us, for ELGL, Engaging Local Government Leaders, we were founded 10 years ago with a pretty simple premise of connecting uh, professionals in local government. We have, there's professional associations for city managers, finance officers, planners, you name it. But there wasn't one that went across sectors or across functions of government. That's what we've created in, at ELGL. We're really focused and honed in on, on three principles. One, diversity and inclusion. Uh, it's just uh, <laughs> completely unacceptable where we are in embracing diversity and inclusion in our workforce, whether that's gender, sexuality, race, government, uh, in this case, talking about local government, has really failed to in include those communities and find ways to connect with them. So that's definitely a, an emphasis uh, for ELGL. Secondly, technology, uh, not to be completely Debbie Downer, but I would say local government, that's another area where we have not done it as best as we should in terms of incorporating these uh, whether it's software, new platforms, new products, uh, we haven't given them enough time uh, or thought in how they can improve our communities. We too often feel fine about what we're doing. It works, it's not broken. And instead of waiting for something to break in government, we should be more proactive and find ways that are perhaps uh, cheaper and better 
And then lastly, and some people will argue with this, we're, we're here to make lo local government fun. You know, people say government can't be fun. I would disagree. It can be fun. It is a matter of, uh, it does take work though. Um, it's like any other profession. There's a lot of rewarding things that are happening. And, and at the very simple level, we should have fun and enjoy what we're doing. Uh, and at ELGL, you see that through our annual city hall, city hall selfie day, which is August 15th every year. We've been overwhelmed with responses. Since last year we had 2,000, 3,000 submissions of just people taking pictures in front of their city hall because they're proud about where they work and, and what they do. So we're, we're not going away. We can plan on continuing to hammer those three things home, diversity, inclusion, tech, and just having a good time. So over this past year and a half there, uh, would you say that you've managed to perfect the art of local government since we last spoke? <laughs> That's a great question. No, I wouldn't say that. I think we've been able to perfect the art of connecting people who uh, are looking for new solutions, who are trying uh, to find motivation in government. You know, that may be as simple as uh, a city who's going out for a community survey and helping them find what vendor to use. Uh, it may be as simple as on our ELGL 50 Facebook uh, group talking about SharePoint as an internal communication tool. How do we use that? Can we use it? What, what are we not using? Um, so there's a lot of ways that we're connecting uh, our members with how they can do their jobs better. I don't think we'll ever perfect the art of local government, but I do definitely think uh, we are and will continue to refine the art of local government. It appears that ELGL is now working on its 10th year of existence, which is quite a milestone. What was your why initially for starting it? And has your view of that or its contents changed at all during its lifetime? So uh, that's a great question. We started, we started back in 2009, shortly uh, after our first child was born, because we realized uh, we can do a better job in our positions at the time. My wife worked uh, as the assistant city manager for the city of West Lynn, which is a suburb of Portland, about 20,000. And I was working for the city of Tigard. So we started off just meeting uh, once a month with people who had a similar passion in local government. It was 16 of us. We're now over 4,000 members. And you know, to your question about has it changed or, or the why or, or where we're headed, you know, it's a great question. And I think we have, we have evolved, um, and I think largely in response to what we've seen and hear from our members. You know, I would go back to those three points that I touched on of, of what we've. Um, kind of solidified our mission to be, uh, which, which is the focus of, on diversity tech and, and having a good time. So I think ELGO will always, you know, we're 10 years in, I, we'll, we'll continue to evolve. You know, we fear becoming a stagnant organization that is not forward thinking. Uh, we also fear you know, being beholden to whether that's vendors or sponsors or people with allow, um, who think they have a louder voice we, we want to make decisions um, that are the best for government in general. Um, so we're 10 years in and where we had, we really are, we really are at a, uh, an interesting time in our organization's history about on where we head from here. Um, Cause there's, there's a lot of potential. Uh, it's something we'll be definitely focusing these next few months on 
uh, to try to chart the path for our next five to 10 years. I would imagine that in that time, you, you've gained a lot of experience, you know, helping lead an organization like that. Are there any lessons you've picked up along the way that you'd be willing to muse about a bit? Yeah, I, you know, I, I struggled sometimes when I was in school, graduate school and undergraduate, because a lot of, especially in like leadership type classes, because it, it seemed like a lot of jargon to me and a lot of, you know, kind of rah-rah stuff. But, yeah, you know, I've really learned the, the art of leadership and, and really what goes into that, the heart, being willing to work, being willing to be a hard worker. Uh, and that you'll see that throughout our organization. We literally started at zero and even started with some obstacles against us in terms of other associations really not wanting to see us exist. So, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, like hard work does not get defeated. Like we are out working organizations that are larger than us, uh, have more funding than us. Uh, we're out working them, providing a better product to our members. I would, I challenge any of our members or if we're, when we do uh, sessions or presentations, anybody in the audience you know, to think about, you know, the money that you're paying, whether that's for training or professional associations, the money you're putting in and the value you're getting out. Um, and at ELGL, we provide the best value that you'll ever see of any organization because simply we've, our leaders, our board of directors, our staff are the hardest workers that you'll find. Um, so not a necessarily a, a magical secret tip for anybody listening, but I would hope that you would at least consider, you know, whatever your job is right now, uh, that hard work and perseverance does pay off. And there's plenty of others who will fall by the wayside. Um, but if you're willing to continue to put the time and effort in, uh, there will be successes, um, and there will be some bumps on the road, but for the most part, uh, I think you'll get to where you want to be. Speaking of bumps in the road, as you put it, uh, what would you say is something that's been a, a significant challenge that either you personally or as an organization have faced uh, since the last time we uh, convened here? So one of the things we've we've drawn the most indirect criticism, or I guess talking behind our backs, is the diversity initiative. Uh, the uh, it was a third started off as a thirteen percent initiative, which highlights. From 1984 to 2014, the percent of women as city managers didn't change, which is disgusting and unacceptable. And some of those organizations, uh, and this I should say is my personal opinion, some of those organizations that were responsible for that, uh, for not having more of a focus on that, uh, were not appreciative of our efforts to, one, highlight the sheer numbers, and then two, to actually have a plan to do something about it. A report is great to put that out there, but you should also have substantive steps. And uh, at ELGL, since 2014, that's really been uh, one of our biggest focuses. You'll see it, whether that's a, if you go to our conference, a panel session that we put together, or if you look at our board of directors, um, diversity and inclusion is woven throughout our organization. And I think it is unfortunate um, how, you know, there is definitely a segment where of folks in government who want to keep the status quo uh, because that would benefit them. Uh, I would completely push back on that. And I, I think that's not responsible to our communities. For me, it's not responsible. And I think about 
having two kids grow up and perhaps being interested in a government career. So our, our opinions as ELGL have not always been popular and they've not always been the kind of talking points that you would hear from other organizations. But I think that authentic response to issues like um, diversity um, are what really keeps our, keep our members uh, very engaged in our organization. Have you seen any movement, you know, for, from those efforts that gives you hope that maybe in the future that, that those numbers will improve, that that situation will become more equitable? I've seen, I've seen some movement. I think that, I think part of it, just from the changing demographic, there will be um, an increase. And I think you know, there's Washington State, for example, has, a, has put together some good programs on, on cultivating that. Um, ELGO, we've tried to provide opportunities, but I, I think a lot of it comes down to um, seeing people that look like you in the roles that you want to be. Hmm. Um, and I, I do think that's changing. Um, I do think. You, uh, most associations and most governments have really strong uh, female leadership uh, at some level, at least the ones that uh, we interact with. So I think it's changing, but I think we would be foolish to think it is completely changed and that we can move on to a different topic. Uh, the, where it's not changing um, is we still hear the same conversations from our members who are encountering uncomfortable situations at work because of a manager. Uh, our members who are at conferences who are in very uncomfortable situations uh, because of uh, male colleagues. If that exists, people are more willing to talk about it now, a little bit more open, uh, but some of that uh, still exists and hasn't changed. And that uh, we would love for this not to be a focus of our organization, but I, I can't imagine any time in the foreseeable future that that will that would be the case. It, it sounds like y'all are seeing a, you know, a problem that's out there and very serious and you're attempting to do what you can to help support folks. Is, I think I'm, that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Lot, there's a lot of connecting. So uh, for our members who are looking to be city managers, uh, we will and have take the time to connect you with recruiters, to connect you with cities that you see an opening and you may be interested in applying for. Uh, my wife is full-time now with the ELGL. Uh, she has experience in city management. She's encountered some of what we're talking about in her last job where she ended up um, filing a gender, discrimina gender discrimination lawsuit against the city she was working for uh, because she was told that a young woman with kids is really not uh, the person they want as an interim city manager. So we've, we, uh, as a group have experience that uh, we can share and really help benefit our members who are uh, unfortunately facing some of these same situations. But on the bright side, the number is increasing in, in those leadership roles. And I think they're really, those folks in those positions are really doing a good job of cultivating uh, the next generation and building that more inclusive workplace. I've been noticing and enjoying some of the uh, innovation driven content that's been coming out, whether it's, you know, ELGL posts or the podcast y'all run, uh, GovLove. Uh, I've seen things like uh, coverage of web accessibility, city innovation teams, and things in between. Uh, have you started to see any emerging patterns in that local Gov innovation space as you've gone along? So I don't know if this is allowed, but I'm going to flip the question back on you. I, I struggle a little bit with this 
um, innovation and have some worries about innovation becoming a buzzword. So what, what would you say is innovation, like in, in your experience? So I can speak, I suppose, to what I mean from the word. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't reflect on others so yeah. much and how they use it. Uh, for, but for me, it ends up being a lot, uh, at least in the government context, a lot of attention placed upon how services are ultimately delivered. And then the way that uh, things like technology can interweave with that to improve that services delivery, whether that's like the so- like improving the software development cycle, whether that's improving the way an organization gets feedback from folks that are actually impacted by the initiative or uh, things in between. Uh, does that, I, I guess, does that viewpoint kind of clear up what, what I mean a bit? Yeah. And I, and I just, I'm, I'm just always curious to hear people's uh, lens of, of innovation because I do, I do worry a little bit if you're working for a smaller organization, mid-sized organization, and you continue to hear this drumbeat of innovation, which at least for now, largely is coming from cities of a, a bigger population that that you may be discouraged. And mm. you know, whatever you want to call it, innovation, new ways of doing things. I mean, there's for a city of five thousand, that may be moving from a paper newsletter to electronic newsletter. It may be starting to have a social media account uh, for some medium-sized organizations. For example, in Tigard, we now have a four-day work week. Four tens is our work week. That's innovation in, in a lot of ways. So we are trying to bring that together with the ELGL through, like you mentioned, our podcast, some of our content. We also have an innovation wiki on our uh, website where people can kind of what we're talking about here define what innovation is um, on, in, at their organizations and, and what they've seen. So I think where we're going as an organ, as ELGL is we want to have a platform where you could come to our website and see there's 500 things that are innovating government broken down by the government that's doing it, the size of that government. And our hope is you can take something away from that that you could transfer to your organization as an innovative practice. To, to follow up on that, I, I noticed that that drop of the four day work week there for yes. the city. Uh, I have to admit, I've read like academic work about the benefits of something like that. But I think you're the first person I've talked to that has any real world experience with an organization actually doing it. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about your experience with with that initiative there? Sure. I would credit our um, city manager, Marty Wine, who's been with the city about eight years now. She started it. Um, it was under the kind of the guise of... Uh, cost savings, we expected to, to cut costs a little around $50,000, $60,000 from uh, simply turning the lights on and some of those basic things that happen every day in the buildings. Um, you know, the cost savings, I'm not sure exactly how that ended up shaking out, but I do know it's improved the employee morale. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a benefit when people are looking at the various local government jobs that you know, they could work in Tiger on a four-day work week schedule, flexible schedule, compared to you know, a neighboring city who may not have that. So all in all, I, I've loved it. It's honestly one of the reasons I continue with the organization because of that flexible schedule that allows me to spend time on family matters with coaching my seven-year-old's basketball team. Um, but at the same time, you know, Monday through Thursday, it's a grind 
but we're getting getting a lot of work done and I think it's just a different way to approach a work week. So we've, we've done some surveying and talking to employees and generally, you know, after the kind of initial shock of like, Hey, how am I going to do childcare? How am I going to still play my softball league after work? Once you get past that, uh, people really do embrace it um, as a great way to, to almost force a work-life balance upon, among um, folks. With your implementation, and this may be a bit in the weeds of how something like this works, uh-huh. uh, does everyone sort of have, um, are, there, are there like differing days that's like their four days or or, do you, or have you all aligned on like this day is our, our yeah. day off? Good question. We're, we're all off on Fridays. Obviously police uh, is still, police still works, some of our public works crews in library, but you know, we have 30, 300 FTE, I'd say about 200 of those are on the Monday through Thursday schedule every Friday off. I know city of Westland where we live, they have every other Friday off, they have the 980 schedule. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty much throughout our organization in Tiger. Well, that is, uh, that is certainly an innovation move. I, I can't think of another organization off the top that has explored that one. That, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know the state of Utah, I think it was at one point moved their whole workforce to the 410 schedule. And I think a couple of years after that, they backed off that. I'm not sure the exact reason, but yeah, for us, it's been successful. And you know, I think every organization's slightly different, but it, it is an innovative approach to workforce. Recently, we've also started to see the rise of these like local and state digital services, uh, which kind of have a, a model that they that they work through, whether it's in cities like San Francisco or in states like Colorado, which just uh, recently got theirs up off the ground. Uh, do you have any feelings about these sort of initiatives as they're put together? Yeah, I think at this point, there it's for the most part, they're good. Uh, it, ra- it raises awareness on the topic. If there's any way to pool resources, I think that's that's always helpful. Uh, once again, going back to kind of a lens of a smaller cities, uh, I, I just would want any. I don't think the smaller to medium-sized cities should get left out of any initiatives, um, or if there's ways to include them, especially if it's kind of a state-sponsored program, um, because you know a lot of times they don't aren't going to have the resources, time, or, or staff to do that. But I think it's a great step in the right direction uh, on continuing to recognize we have we have some progress we need to make in this area. Um, what what are your feelings of this? Have you seen um, a, a model that you think is more successful than some of the others? Or that's that's a really great question. Uh, I I wouldn't suggest that the like the digital services model is necessarily the like the end all be all of all possibilities, but I do think it's pretty good. Like, I think it's got a, a good track record. You know, the federal government has done a pretty decent job with the United States digital service kind of showcasing what's possible. And I think through that is why you're starting to see it happen now at like the state and, and local level. In part, that's in, fe- in fact, uh, folks kind of coming out of that service and going back to their, you know, their hometowns and home states and going, you know what, like, I think, I think this could work here which I think is uh, if my memory of the story for how Colorado got going 
that's like their story as like a USDS alum came, came back home and decided to help get that going. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there are some missed opportunities in that because there, there's some great stuff happening on, on the federal and state level and, and making sure that we as local government find a way to connect with those resources is extremely important. Well, one thing I, I, I like that you keenly pointed out is the, the uh, idea of trying to make sure that like a smaller cities and medium sized cities don't miss out on this sort of thing. Cause often I, I think there's probably a, a bit of a resource constraint problem because you're probably not going to see a lot of uh, cities of that size make, you know, like making their own digital service. I imagine it's not practical. Uh, I wonder what that relationship would be between them and like a state run initiative. Yeah. And I think, I think there's some of that throughout the country and there's some, um, I think there's more sharing and partnering amongst, you know, area cities that are neighboring each other. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of ways that we really haven't used um, as cities working with just simply each other to to really use our our uh, workforce and our communities um, as an asset to with each other. For example, in, in Tigard and Lake Oswego, which is the neighboring city, we have a water uh, water partnership that has really helped uh, provide a long term water source for our community. Um, on the kind of IT front, there was a couple of cities around here who shared IT services. So some of those recessions are never good, but you know, during the last one, those are some of the things that I started to see bubble up. Uh, but I feel like with the economy turning back around, I haven't, haven't seen or heard as much of that. You've now had a GovLove, a podcast that runs under ELGL up and running now for a few years as well. If my podcast app is to be trusted, I believe since around somewhere in 2015, does that sound? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. How was the experience of being a host for a program like that changed for you over time? Uh, I mean, the couple of podcasts is great. Uh, ben Kittleson is our, is the producer and really makes that engine run. Uh, it started off as a partnership with C-Click Fix. Um, it was a joint podcast, which that partnership lasted maybe for a year and then they decided to go in a different direction. So ever since then, <clears throat> we've really been the sole provider and it's incredible. I have less, uh, I host maybe eight to 10 episodes a year because we have uh, three to four hosts now. Um, and I think what you've really seen is just the change in diversity and content. Uh, for a while, it was just two or three of us that were hosting. And, um, you know, so we tended to have the same type of guests, but, Really now, if you go on and see our recent episodes, um, they're all over the place. Uh, in terms of host, actual hosting, you know, as, as you know, it's it, I'm always learning. Like it's, uh, you really want to create a, a conversation with your guest. Uh, sometimes that's easier than others. Um, but I think, yeah, I learn the most from listening to other podcasts, to be honest. Some of the questions that are asked, um, we will replicate on our on our podcast because they're I think they're probing questions that uh, are interesting and in getting at somebody's story. For me as a host, I've kind of honed in on like similar your why, just the like how did you get here? What 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 was the impact of your upbringing? You know, was your were your parents in government? Did you have siblings that were in government? If you knew nothing about government, like how did you land here? Because more and more we see the people in 
in government pretty high positions that this wasn't their intended path. And hmm. uh, to kind of share those career paths, I think are, are, are interesting, uh, interesting to me and then hopefully interesting to our listening audience. You mentioned in there the model that you all run where you have uh, like a series of hosts that kind of collaboratively work to produce content. Yep. Could you talk a little bit more like what that experience is like and maybe how, like how, how did you end up like pulling folks into the fold like that? Yeah. So if you listen to the podcast, you may know this, but we, we don't have any formal podcast training. So we, uh, we, I think we all take slightly different approaches. Um, there's like I said, four or five of us, we've gotten Ben, myself and Kirsten have, have done it all along, but uh, Alyssa and Javon, two of the other hosts um, are folks who had ro- different roles with ELGL, uh, kind of landed in really enjoying the art of conversation with um, interesting people. So they've stepped up uh, and really done incredible jobs. They start, they were working for the city of Kansas city, Missouri together. Now they're in different places, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where they had a passion for it and have added just incredible value um, for our listeners. So I think the rotating host is a, is a good model, at least for us, it works. Um, and we're, we're aware that, you know, we probably can tighten a few things up. So we're, we're always looking at whether it's the format to the guests, to the questions, you know, what do our listeners really want? If folks listening to this are interested in getting involved with engaging local government leaders, maybe they want to become a member. Maybe they just kind of want to learn and figure out more about what y'all are about. Uh, what would be the best way for them to start that journey? Hey, I'll, I'll tell you right now to send me an email, kent at elgl.org. Uh, let's talk either over email or over phone. I'm happy to connect with you that way. That's the most direct way. Other ways, uh, if you don't want to do that, uh, we have a website, elgl.org. A lot of information on that about what we stand for. A lot of content. So what you'll find on our website is Articles involving local government that are written by local government professionals. We don't we don't have reporters or journalists. We are an organization who has members in the profession writing about the profession. So kind of a unique approach. Um, one that I would compare, if you're familiar with it, to the the Players Tribune, which was is an athletic website. They athlete athletes write about their experience. About, um, playing basketball or whatever it is. And it's kind of the model that we have. Um, and I think our, our members really connect to it because it is it's very, very specific, the content we have, but also pretty transferable um, to other organizations. Um, and then, as we've mentioned a couple of times, the podcast, GovLove Podcast is available on all the major podcast services. Um, they're all, I think we're over 200 episodes now, so plenty to choose from from an interview with Malcolm Gladwell to the mayor, uh, to the mayor of Richmond. Uh, we cover, cover it all. Um, and hopefully that there's something in there that everybody can take, uh, take a little bit from. Sounds like there's a uh, plenty enough there for you to binge on your next road trip. Yes. And uh, I do want to reinforce folks. If you're either involved in local government or you're just interested in the topic, I, I highly suggest checking out those resources Kent talked about. It's a pretty fantastic organization they've got over there. And uh, Kent, uh, one tradition we have, as you're likely aware, 
uh, as a returning guest is that we save some time at the end of the conversation to uh, let the guests kind of give us an idea of what thoughts we should leave this conversation thinking about or concluding thoughts, as it were. Uh, what would that be for you in this conversation? This is somewhat ELGO related, somewhat not. I, I'm really worried about the census, the 2020 census, uh, from my work with City of Tiger, but also from ELGO. We have had a number of podcast episodes focused on the census, and um, I think for your audience, especially those on the federal level and uh, the others who are interacting with the census and trying to make this a complete count, um, my thought is more of a worry and um, a hope, I guess, that um, as government and nonprofits and as a community, we can come together and make sure that uh, we do get as complete of a count as possible. Uh, I know there's a lot of folks out there working in this direction, but anything that ELGL as an organization can do, we are completely wide open. There's no strings attached, uh, assuming that uh, it's for the good. Uh, we want to make sure that our communities are counted uh, and represented. Um, at the same time, we also recognize uh, some of the fears out there. Um, some of the communities uh, who are part of, or who are often undercounted in the census. So uh, we want help. We want to be a help uh, and we want to help. So please reach out to myself. Uh, if you have an idea of a guest we should have on our podcast to talk about the census, if you have content you want to share about the census, uh, I know the U.S. Census does a great job of putting materials out there. Uh, we use some of that on our city's website. That's great. But I think the more personal stories we can have around the census discussion, I think the better off we'll be. So I would encourage your audience to at least think about it and do one thing that it's going to help move the needle towards a more complete count in the 2020 census. I think that's a fantastic ask and a really reasonable thing to have worries about. And Ken, I want to thank you again for taking the time out of your day to come on Civic Tech Chat and share with us a bit about what's going on at ELGL, at GovLove, and just your general experience and knowledge. Yeah, I really appreciate I appreciate the opportunity. I, I think my kids in 15 years will enjoy listening to this episode. I think that they'll find you to be a wonderful host. Hopefully you'll still be hosting podcasts uh, at that time too. But uh, we really enjoy the opportunity to, to go on other podcasts, other formats, and uh, just discuss local government and, and how we can work uh, better with each other. So really appreciate the opportunity, Ryan. Look forward to having you on the number one podcast in local government, the couple of podcasts here uh, shortly. I will definitely be looking forward to that. Great. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.